Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to episode 20 of the Beneath the Stats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is associate producer for NBC Sports Boston, Max Letterman. Max, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, Max, on your Twitter bio, you have ball equals life, Celtics equals work, 76ers equals buy drink. So clearly you're a big basketball guy. In reaction to the Horford signing with the Sixers, because I want to start there, you tweeted, I'm chugging chocolate milk right now. So clearly you're happy about the signing from the Sixers being, I'm assuming you're a 76ers fan. What did you make of Al going to the Sixers and then Kyrie going to Brooklyn and Kemba coming to Boston? So starting with Al, it is, it's, uh, you know, as a Sixers fan, it's great. It was shocking to me. Um, it's, you know, I'm a little conflicted because I thought when, at, when it came out that Al wasn't you know, planning on re-signing with the, the Celtics that they'd kind of just reached an impasse. It was really shocking to me because I thought for sure he would just, you know, opt out and either sign a, like a just a longer deal for maybe a little less annual. Um, but I never right. thought he was leaving. And so it was pretty shocking. And the reaction to the fans is actually the most shocking thing to me. Everyone's being quite rational about it because Al's a nice guy. And they're like, oh, I can understand why he'd want to leave. But um, I don't expect fans to be super rational so it was a little jarring, but I think part of it's just because it's compared to, to Kyrie, and Kyrie was such just, uh, well, he wasn't very nice, like Al. Absolutely. <laughs> but as a Sixers fan, it's great. You know, it, you just get the number one Embiid uh, defender and just put him on your team. And I think he'll, he'll probably go through some of the uh, issues that he had here in Boston on the radio because um, he's going to get paid lots of money and not put 20 and 10 up every night. But, right. you know, I think we all know all the, you know, the, the Celtics fans eventually realize that, well, every time he's on the court, the Celtics beat the other team. And when he's not on the court, they are losing. So he's doing something right. And I think eventually people in Philly, well, we'll see, might figure that out. But he's going to help them a lot. I think he puts them right there with the Bucks uh, as, the, as the top team in the East. Um, but it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough loss for the Celtics. I mean, it's a little sad, too. He was the first like, big signing that the Celtics have ever had as a legit free agent and he sort of ushered in the you know the current spot where we're at with the Celtics and part of that's the league too has changed but the Celtics historically never signed big free agents so when Al decided to come it was like man maybe this is this you know a sign of things to come and it really did because the next summer they're getting uh, Hayward and Al was just such a help so I really am worried about the Celtics functioning without him but I'm also excited about you know seeing some of the younger guys uh, get a chance to prove themselves as well. But uh, moving to Kyrie, uh, I think everyone, if you gave them truth serum in that organization, would say that they are glad that he chose to leave and that it was a, uh, you know, they can kind of put all the blame on him because, boy, he was not a pleasant person to deal no. with. Uh, he just didn't seem to really be interested in 
anything that anybody else had to say uh, if they weren't what he appeared or what he thought was at his level. It's one of those guys that just thinks he's super smart and he's actually dumb, so it's really frustrating. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't know what kind of intelligence he has, and he's obviously a smart basketball player, and I, I think he's a good human at the core, but he was just miserable to cover because he just couldn't get out of his own way with the things that he said. You know, he was perfect about his, you know, how he handled the free agency thing when he said he was coming back in October. Even if he decided that he didn't want to, he just, you know, he basically got himself off the hook for an entire year, and then he can just drop that bomb, you know, in the off season if he wanted to. But he just can't help himself. So when those New York reporters asked him about, you know, whether he was coming back or not, he just said, instead of saying, "I've already spoken on that. I'm not talking about my free agency," he said, "Talk to me July 1st." And kind of reopen that narrative. And that really, I mean, I don't think we talk enough about how that was sort of a turning point for the season because there was still hope. I mean, granted, people still had hope going into the second round after they swept the, the Pacers, but I can tell you what I didn't. If they were the if the Celtics were the road, if they were the five instead of the four, I would have picked the Pacers. I mean, I probably would have ended up being wrong, but I did not believe in that team in the playoffs. They were supposed to win their over under was at like fifty eight and a half games going into the season and they uh, what are they end up with 48 49 so it's like there's there's no historical precedent for a team that underachieves that much doing anything uh past the second round even getting out of the first round so uh there was just a lot of a lot of awful uh just like a cloud over the franchise and it was you know it's not all Kyrie's fault but it's definitely because of him you know if he had just been just a little bit smarter about how he dealt with the media and just didn't answer questions he didn't want to, uh, it would have been much better. But uh, like I said, I'm glad because he was miserable uh, to cover because he's just, you know, the, the I'm I'm big, you know, pro-science guy, you know, facts matter to right. here. And that really was just the, the flat earth stuff when he was in Cleveland. Just It always put a bad taste in my mouth. And, and I try to be quiet about it when he was here, you know, obviously because of my job. But now that he's gone, screw that guy. Uh, and good riddance, you know, hopefully Brooklyn knows what they, they're getting. And I think it'll probably be a good year. He'll probably have a great year this year, put up some fantastic numbers. But talk to me in year two and three when, uh, when they go through a four-game losing streak. Yeah, and he put up pretty big numbers with the Celtics. Obviously, it was terrible in the playoffs. But obviously, the parallels between Al and Kyrie, they were totally the opposite guys, which I think – as you said, makes Al's departure even worse. It's one thing to lose a guy like Curry, but to lose a guy like Al, who was so beloved and the ultimate team guy, and a guy who actually showed up in the playoffs when it mattered, was tough from a Celtics fan perspective. But I do want to move on to you and your 76ers fandom. I assume, are you from Philadelphia? Yes. And you've been a 76ers fan and Philadelphia sports fan your whole life? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and yeah, I see on your Twitter you said seven years are why you drink. So you must have been drinking a lot during the process during that time when they were tanking. How what was that like for you? Well, you know, it actually wasn't that hard for me. It was pretty easy because I, you know, I've been up here since college when I, I right. came up in two thousand three, and uh, so and then I started working in in Boston sports television, and, you know, in like oh five. So it's you know it's been a very easy thing to go through uh, as far as being like relative to other Sixers fans who had to sit and actually watch those games. Uh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to buy league pass when the 
when the Sixers were going through the process. But it right. was, I mean, the thing that I really liked about the process was just, it was a plan. You know, they came in because before, you know, they were just a classic middling franchise and they just were always fighting for that seven seed just so they could, you know, maybe get lucky and get out of the first round. And they're just, you just felt like you just needed to win the lottery. You really needed to win the lottery and get a star. And Sam Hinkie came in with a plan. And even if it meant that we had to just have terrible teams for two to three years and ended up being three, um, maybe four, depending on what you think. It, it was a plan and it was a direction and I give ownership credit for agreeing to it. Um, I think they're terrible owners and they knifed them in the back early. You know, they got cold feet and they also got pressured from the NBA and the Colangelo's blah, blah, blah. We don't need to go into those dark days, but um, it was, at least it was, there was, you know, it was, you know, it was like, okay to root. It's easy when you want them to lose. It really is. Like there's just no stress in the in that. No pressure, yeah. And then when they start winning, like I remember the first year that they uh, that Embiid played when they're he played those 31 games and there was just a little bit of hope that they might actually fight for uh, the eight seed. You know, I remember you know talking to my brother like, man, I don't even know how to root for them anymore. Like I like, <laughs> I don't want them to win yet. I really don't. I don't. I think we want another pick, and it's hard to get out of that mindset. But the drinking actually started when they were. Uh, when they were better and then, you know, you're just so, so worried about Embiid getting hurt and, and Simmons not shooting threes. And then Colangelo, you know, even before the burner stuff, you're just, man, I don't, I don't trust this guy. That was wild. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. I mean, that was like, I had just started a, a new thing where I wasn't going to drink on the weekdays. I was going to just drink <laughs> on the weekends and that stopped real quick. With that but uh, that, yeah, so that's why, you know, I put the, that's why I drink thing. Cause it's tough. It's really hard being a Sixers fan. Uh, a Philly fan in general, especially when you're up here in Boston uh, and you just see title after title after title. That's in, crazy. In every single sport. But you know, what was nice about during the process is that I was, I was, you know, being paid to watch the Celtics and not the Sixers. So it was good that I could just follow another team. And when you're not like born and raised fan of that team, it's much easier. I mean, you, you, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and say I don't root for the Celtics. That, that would be crazy. Um, you know, you get emotionally invested in the team and the people and, you know, I, I root for them and I'm obviously, I, you know, I'm, I have way more, you know, Twitter friends that are Celtics fans than Sixers fans. You know, my, the people that I talk to that are Sixers fans are just like my best friends and my, my brother, really, uh, everyone else that I converse with on social media and in life is a, is a Celtics fan. So, um, it was, it's, it's nice to, to cover a team that you don't, you're not like dying if they lose, but. I get sad when they lose at the end of the season, but I'm also like it's 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 cheating really. I'm I'm happy when they win, and I don't you know cry myself to sleep when they lose. Yeah, and the follow up question I have for you was: so have you become a little bit of a Celtics fan now covering the team so long, or how do you differentiate between growing up as a Sixers fan and now covering the Celtics from an outsider perspective? Well, what I say is like um, I'm emotionally invested in the outcome of the Celtics games. I right. uh, I, I like it when they win. Um, I like their fans. I like the people that are in the organization that I deal with, uh, for the most part, other than Kyrie. Um, not that I ever really died. You know, I'm mostly in the studio. I'm not uh, usually out in the field, so I've you know, dealt with him a handful of times. And I, it was never anything negative with me. It's just you know stories that I hear and yeah. the words that he says into microphones that were really frustrating. But so yeah, like I root, I root for the Celtics. But when you ask me, it's just different too because when you work in, in in sports broadcasting for so long, you lose a lot of what I think a lot of people consider to be a, like a fandom. Like you start rooting for results 
like just a result, not a specific result. Like right. I remember the first time I really noticed it was when the Phillies were playing the Red Sox probably like seven years ago. And we were doing our uh, Sportsnet Central shows and uh, it was almost 1030 when the top of our show was coming up. And I was like, man, I don't care. The Phillies were like threatening to tie the game. And I was just like, I want them to lose because I want the game to end. So they're right. ready for the A block so that we don't have to stay late and update the show. It was I was being selfish, but it really right. it's, just, it's just the reality of working in sports for so long. You just you get a little desensitized, and it's not as uh, it's not as special when you know your teams win. Like the Eagles Super Bowl was amazing, but it wasn't like it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was a little less great, and also maybe that's part because I just see the Patriots win Super Bowls every year, so it's kind of just like whatever. <laughs> it's we we become desensitized to all Super Bowls now. <laughs> exactly. It's it just and also you just like man, don't even talk to me about your team being a contender unless you're literally in the championship, right? Or like the Bruins getting hot in the playoffs, you know? And they're like, okay, maybe this is a real thing, but it's there's no credit if they don't win the the whole thing. So, but yeah, so I get a little, you know. A little desensitized and also you know just as you just age you have kids you know you, you you can you get less upset about sports things i mean i love getting mad online about sports it's really like i would prefer to only be mad online about sports than other things but um you know at the end of the day i'm always doing it with that perspective of like it doesn't really matter it's just a game and it's important and it's obviously important to me because it's what i chose you know to focus my entire career on is sports so um, but I don't, you know, I don't get really banged up when bad things happen. So it's kind of nice. And you mentioned your career. And I do want to transition to your career in the sports media field overall a little bit. Now I know you worked at NBC Sports Boston, which I think used to be called Comcast Sports Set, and then they made the change. And you were at Nesson a little bit before that. Are you happy with where you're at with your career right now? It's obviously a really hard business to make it. Are you where you thought you would be back in 2003 or what do you make of your career in the sports media field overall? Cause I know it's really tough to make it obviously for anyone who's trying to do it. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly happy. I mean, you never get complacent. You're always looking for, you know, upward trajectory and you have to kind of fight against that. You know, I do at least because I am really happy with my job and I have to keep kind of like forcing myself, like don't get complacent, you know, cause there will be somebody that will come and replace you if you're complacent, if you're not trying to keep, uh, keep growing your own career and that's why I ended up you know starting doing actual on-camera stuff I never thought that that's what I was going to do I always thought I was just going to be behind the scenes and it kind of just presented itself and and it's just a fun new like uh you know direction or at least another side of it you know of my career but I'm incredibly fortunate I'm very lucky I went to Northeastern and you know my co-op I just you know I was just slacking off i didn't find a good you know co-op i didn't really even think about it and i just ran into a kid from one of my classes at the gym and he was just like oh you should go work at cn8 uh sports pulse i know the guys here's his email and it was just like someone just basically handed me my first co-op uh at a now defunct channel called cn8 and there was a show called sports pulse with ed berliner that was my first internship and uh, i met one of the producers there who ended up going to nesson and that's how i got my nesson internship for my next co-op and then I got hired as a PA while uh, on co-op, actually, which made the last two years of college quite uh, less important to me. Uh, and so my grade suffered, and it was a bit of a challenge. And you know, your nightlife suffered. But I also, when I was at Nesson, I met my my future wife, and oh, wow. we started dating. So I really, I've had a very fortunate like ride. So like, and she's uh, you know incredibly supportive of my career. So we, I mean, we had to sacrifice our, you know, mid twenties, you know, no, we couldn't really go on fun 
vacations and stuff because I had work. I was the low man on the totem pole. I had to try to build and we used to do Saturday shows and Sunday shows. So we, you know, there were weekends where we couldn't even go out, you know, or I couldn't at least, and she'd have to go out without me. So, you know, it's, it really is sacrifice. Um, but it's, it's totally worth it if it's what you want to do. And I've seen a lot of, you know, kids come in and they, you know, they say they want it, they think they want it. And then they realize what the cost is. And if you just, if you aren't okay with that, that's fine. But like my whole thing is like, just choose because, uh, it's really hard to get back if you leave. So, you know, I my I was on a temporary contract at the end of my time at Nesson and it was right when the recession hit. So I was, you know, really starting to panic. Uh, and so I had a job offer from another company and I still wanted to come back to Nesson, but there wasn't a thing that I could work out. And I ended up going to this other company called Tech Target, which was not sports. Uh, it was a great company and I was there for, I think, two years. Uh, but the entire two years, I was just trying to get back into television, back into sports. Uh, and it was a grind. It was a battle, even though I thought I had, you know, a, a good resume, you know, from my time at Nesson for all my experience. And it just, uh, it took a while. And I ended up, uh, the connections I made at Nesson were what got me uh, in as a freelance editor at then Comcast Sportsnet, which is now NBC Sports Boston. And once I was in the door, I just wasn't going to, I was not going to let that go away. I was just, you know, I actually went out and got an iPhone because I was like, I need to be able to check my email instantly once they email me for, you know, editing shifts so that I can be the first one to reply and say, I'll do all of them. Uh, I can work every single one of those days and just, you just say, screw everything else. This has to be the, the number one priority. And it's hard. I mean, that's not easy. And there is, you know, there is some sacrifice, but the the side piece of that is that I already, you know, I had the girl, which was, you know, for a lot of us, you know, finding your your soulmate and all that stuff is a big part of your, you know, twenties, thirties. And to me, I already had that. And so I was very lucky in that regard too. So it was easier for me to sacrifice the Friday nights, the Saturday nights, uh, to, to put in the extra work to kind of just keep my face in front of the decision makers face. And then when, you know, a, a full-time job opened up and I applied and I got it and I've had a couple promotions since and about, Five years ago, they restructured how the associate producers uh, lined up and they assigned me just Celtics um, during the season. And that was like a real, real break for me. Like it was, I mean, I don't know where I'd be in my career if uh, my former manager, John Zanis, didn't do that because that was like an incredible, um, fortunate thing because it just, I needed that beat. I needed the one thing to focus on. And I obviously am obsessed with basketball. And I love the the pregame uh, and postgame show. Just I just love them. I love working on them. They're fun. Uh, they're exciting. They're new. Even if it's a game, the same game, it could be the two teams playing against each other for the you know second day in a row. And it, the no game is the same. It's always different. There's always a different you know storyline. And that's just that's just what I love to do. And it does seem like for anyone who's followed the industry that it's been changing. Even recently, with, with more videos and podcasts, social media, it seems like when you're on the Celtics post-game or pre-game or any of those types of shows, you're doing a lot of social media work. Has your job changed over the years based on how media is changing in terms of what you focus on, certain skills you needed to learn, or anything of your day-to-day tasks? Oh, yeah. So much. So much so. Like I mean, it used to be just, you know... Mo- the most stressful thing that I used to have to do is like write shot sheets and, and edit really long highlights for anchors on, you know, these half an hour shows where we had to have like really tight 
times. Like these highlights can't be longer than two minutes and 15 seconds. So we're killing plays and, oh, we got to, you know, judging, you know, the whole skill that, you know, I thought I was really good at back then was, you know, highlights and my editorial judgment, what plays to choose, how to tell the story of a game. Uh, that doesn't matter anymore for highlights. You know, it's completely different because nobody is coming to NBC Sports Boston to see the, the highlights of the game. They're coming for analysis. They're coming for other things because they've already seen all the good plays. Uh, either they were watching the game or it was just someone was tweeting out good plays, you know, on Twitter or putting them, you know, whatever social media. They're, they're just, people are already seeing that stuff. So we don't necessarily need to, in highlight form, pick these specific plays here. We do that in a much different way on the post-game show. We'll have like, well, let's get this really good play and let's combine it with like, you know, so maybe it's a big fourth quarter action or this run in the second quarter that was really important. You know, at that point, doesn't matter anymore because, you know, the the Celtics just blew them out in the third. So the second quarter is kind of just like, why are we talking about that? But um, so we, it's much different how we we operate now, uh, even just on the TV side, and then obviously with the, the social media. And it's it's important to see what what the people that are like the diehard fans are interested in from the game what what's their takeaway uh and that's not as easy as it might seem like it, it part of like you know you think oh I'll just get on twitter and just see what people are tweeting about it, you know it's like it's just not as easy like you have to search for it you have to see you have to really because you're watching the game too you can't have one eyeball on twitter and one eyeball on the game it really has to be back and forth back and forth back and forth and you're never you know you just by the nature of how the technology works you're not going to see everything uh, you're not going to see every tweet. So, yeah, it's it's not like nothing I do is hard because it's, you know, if you like what you're doing, it really isn't work. I know that's a cliche, but it's incredibly true. Um, but it isn't as easy as I originally thought it would be. But, yeah, we're looking at tweets, memes, anything funny. My thing is like I can't help but be a little silly. Right. You know, I just don't like taking things seriously because especially in our industry, it's like it's sports, man. We're not, you know, we're not covering politics. I mean, you can't make jokes about politics because that's like real life things. Like sports, I don't feel like is real life. It's it, There's so many people whose lives revolve around it and depend on it in you know within the industry. So I don't want people to think I'm downgrading it, but it's not as serious as you know global politics are. You know, we're we're talking about you know what team's going to win a championship, not you know who's going to live or die or like whatever. Um, so uh, I just can't really be like super serious all the time. And, you know, I luckily have been afforded the, the leeway to kind of, you know, be a little um, less serious with some of the stuff that I do. And I think that's, that really has helped set a tone for our Celtics coverage that I think other people have come in and really uh, carried that out. And it's, I think it's what makes us, you know, like people should watch us instead of the national broadcast when we're on the same time, because that's what you're getting. From us, you're, you're going to get the people that watched every single game, gone to every single practice, heard every single word that these guys say, and also all the social media stuff too. So, yeah, well, you guys do a great job. Your personality definitely comes across both on social media and on TV. So, keep up the great work. Make sure to follow you on Twitter at Max Letterman and check out all your content at NBCSportsBoston.com. Is there anything else you want people to know about that we didn't talk about? Anything you want people to check out, whether what you're up to or NBC Sports Boston? 
Uh, no, I mean, just keep keep following along, liking, tweeting. I never don't respond to people if I don't respond to anyone. It's just because I just didn't see it because uh, I was either on vacation or just out or whatever. I'm pretty online uh, when I'm not on vacation. So I and I love talking uh, about sports, really anything. Uh, my DMs are open too. Uh, I you know I go through them. I don't get a lot. It's not like oh people are just attacking me on DMs. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, I like engaging. I really do. I love it. So and. Any 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 questions? I love answering, talking, making new friends that way, and I also like feedback too. I like you know if if people don't like what we do as a company, um, you know even if they're not as nice when they say it on Twitter, you know I still listen. You know I still you know it's it's better if people are just like not jerks about it. But even if the jerk you know the jerks still get heard or read at least by me, uh, and I like the feedback. And I know a lot of people don't like some of the stuff we do that feels clickbaity or this or that. And it's just like, man, we are, we are not writing the rules to this game. It is, you know, it is, has been written and we are trying uh, all different things that we don't like doing any of that kind of stuff. And, and I hope we don't really, I mean, some of the stuff that people consider clickbaity, I would argue against, but at the end of the day, I like feedback. If anyone has any sort of criticism of what we do or how we do or questions about why we did something, I'm always willing to listen and answer those questions. So fire them away. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Max. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciated you taking the time for me. Thanks again to Max Letterman for joining the podcast. It was interesting to hear his career path and how he's wound up at NBC Sports Boston doing content for the website and also for the pregame and the postgame Celtics show. But that's enough NBA talk. The NBA's done. I'm going to hopefully stop talking about the NBA in the offseason because it's not basketball season anymore. I don't want to talk about the football season because, again, training camp hasn't really started yet, and that is really not going to be a topic of conversation for at least another month or so. Rob Gronkowski has been in the news of will he return, will he not. He's thrown hints out here and there. He had a catch with Brady, but honestly, he could return. He could not. I don't want to get into all that. I think it's a bunch of nonsense, and we'll see during the season what happens with that. But I want to focus on the Red Sox, and I want to focus on the Red Sox for the podcast going forward because it's baseball season officially. If we want to be honest, the first half of the season, some people might have been into the Sox, but the majority of Boston were not in it at all. The Red Sox came off a World Series win. The Bruins were in it. They had a late run, and people were all in on the Bruins. People were frustrated over the NBA and the Celtics. The Patriots came off a Super Bowl win. People were not interested in from my opinion with the Red Sox at least a majority of Boston sports fans for the first half of the season people recognize their frustrations but I don't think there was a lot of freak out and I don't think there was a lot of freak out like you would normally see besides the normal sports talk radio talk people were satisfied with the win last year and I think now people are starting to follow the team and post all-star break big series against the Dodgers a heartbreaking I believe it was a 13 inning loss I stayed up for the whole game brutal game when the team should have won, Jackie Bradley made a bonehead base running decision to second base. Cora should have bunted Marco Hernandez to get Bradley over to third in the first place. They had that game. They blew it. They lost two out of three when they should have won the series. But with that being said, the main question I'm going to pose is, how do you feel about this team? Do you feel like this team can get back to where they were last year? And my the first answer to the first question I pose, is I don't feel that poorly about the team. And 
I think in many cases, teams struggle during the season and then get it together during the playoffs. You saw it with the Patriots. And the Patriots were a team that had proven they had won, and yet they played so horribly that people doubted them. When usually we don't doubt them, they still won. And it speaks to the brilliance of the Patriots. Now you can talk about the Celtics and how their success was indicative of how they would perform in the playoffs. They were inconsistent, they didn't play well, they had never won before, in contrast to the Patriots, and they didn't show up and the signs were there. So there is the perspective of the Celtics in that their inconsistent play did show that they were going to perform poorly in the playoffs, and they did. Now let's look to the Red Sox. Is their play going to show that they will perform poorly in the playoffs? And no, I don't think their inconsistent play will show anything about the playoffs. I think the key for the Red Sox is get to the playoffs. And right now, they're a couple games back in the wild card. I believe there's Texas and Oakland and Tampa. And those are the three teams in it. And as a Sox fan, if you look at this Sox lineup in the talent and how they've had a little stretches here and there of showing like they're playing a little bit more like they did last year, although it's been inconsistent, as a Sox fan, you have to be confident that you're going to get into the wild card spot because none of those teams fear me at all. And when you look at the inconsistent relief in the bullpen without a closer, and Evaldi's going to be coming back as the closer is what we have heard, so hopefully that will help things, and it should help things a ton because they need a closer. And we talked about it all the time. But the huge thing is the bullpen hasn't been that bad, but because they haven't had a closer, guys have had to pitch too often, and therefore they've been blowing games. They need a closer to make sure that other guys can do their jobs in the 6th, 7th, and 8th. And if Avaldi's coming into the ninth, that should help things. So that's number one. Although the bullpen has issues, Avaldi coming back should be a key factor. Number two is, in terms of the offense, you have to love the production. J.D. and Mookie are two guys that, they've had pretty decent years. J.D.'s had a better year than Mookie, but both of those players haven't done as well as they did last year. And so you have to think that they're going to have big second half of the seasons. And you could also say, well, what about Devers and Bogarts, who had huge seasons? Won't they get back down to earth? Maybe, but I also think those guys were due for a big year, and, and they're really hitting their peak. And you could all say the same thing about Vasquez. Well, maybe he's hitting great. But I also think that because the two guys haven't gone up to their potential... They're going to keep this offense going, even if those guys come back down to earth a little bit. Jackie Bradley's in his two, same 230. Ben Benintendi should hit better. He's had a really bad first half for him. So overall, with the offense, I'm not worried about the offense. I don't think anyone's worried about the offense. So if I'm not worried about the offense that much, and I'm not as concerned about the bullpen, because again, they had the bullpen issues, but they survived it last year. If they get Evaldi back, because that's really the missing thing, Kimbrell's not there, I think they can survive the bullpen as well to get to the playoffs. Then obviously we know getting to the playoffs, they showed it last year, and I think they can do it again. You throw some of the starters in the back end, and they can figure it out. Now if you talk about the starting pitchers, David Price has been phenomenal. I think you have to expect that he's going to keep up his great pitching performance. Rodriguez has been solid. They just got a fifth starter, Andrew Kashner, I believe his name is, who's a good enough fifth starter, it looks like. And the two real guys that have been pitching well are Sale and Priscilla. Now, we all know what Porcillo is. He goes through ups and downs. I'd expect him to pitch better in the second half. He's usually a guy that you can rely on to be a big pitcher in the playoffs. So we know what Porcello is. He's going through a bad stretch, but he does get it hard. For him, it's about location. So I expect better things out of Porcello just based on track record. He's usually in the mid-fours. He's up at five. Based on law of averages of what he normally is a pitcher, he should come back down to pitching better. And when you look at Sale, I think he's the number one concern for this team. Yes, you do expect a better Chris Sale. 
So optimistically, you can say, yeah, I, I would assume that he's going to pitch better. But honestly, my number one concern for this team right now is Chris Sale. He's the one guy that, if you look at his track record, he never pitches at the end of the year well. He, he gets hurt. He was hurt last year. He doesn't really pitch well in the playoffs. He has not proven to be a guy that can pitch late into the season in the postseason. So what indication do we have that Chris Sale is going to be the guy? That, to me, is the number one concern. The bullpen, I think they're going to figure it out. They got a Valdi. The hitting is going to be there. Guys who are not hitting as well are going to step up. The starting pitchers here and there, they're doing okay. Chris Sale is the guy. He needs to be better. And I'm tired of the excuse. I've heard at Sports Talk Radio, he takes accountability. Adam Jones was ripping him forward. Felger was ripping him forward in terms of enough. We've heard the accountability, which is great. And we have not seen Boston fans get on Chris Sale like they got on David Price. David Price in his worst season for the Sox was 17-9 with a 3.99 ERA. Chris Sale right now is 3-9 with a 4-2-something ERA. Terrible. Inconsistent. He's had good starts. He's had terrible starts. This guy, They just paid this guy to have a big contract. I've talked about it before. And if you're a Sox fan, you need to be concerned that they signed a guy who has an odd-throwing motion. He's a skinny guy. He's gotten hurt. And... Is his best stuff already past him in his career? I don't know. I think he can still be good. But if you're looking for a championship run out of this team in second half of the season, Chris Sale needs to be an ace. And I believe in this team. I think they're going to come together. It's going to make the wild card. They're not catching the Yankees. And I think they're going to do as well as anyone else could do in terms of chance in the playoffs. But if you're going to look at one concern and pessimism for me, it's Chris Sale. It's the contract. It's him consistently not pitching well. At the end of the year. And now he's already not pitching well at the beginning of the year, which is a new thing. So that's one thing that I'm concerned about going forward with this team. But other than that, I feel good. It should be an interesting second half. And it seems like Boston is starting to buy in on this team and get at least interested, which we have not seen at all in the first half of the year. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKinney for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.